0: Mindfulness Mode. We need
1: our white colleagues to actually rise up and, and fight for us. And and probably their voice means something different to other white people who might be carrying a lot of racist value.
0: Reach new heights of calm, focus and happiness here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Lankford. Hey, Mindful Tribe. We have seen so many events that have been just earth shattering in the last, in the last while. And one of them happened on May 25th and it was absolutely, absolutely shocking what happened. And I'm talking about George Floyd. I'm talking about that terrible event that happened that day. And, uh, I mean, following his death, There has been so much protest and so many repercussions as a result of that, maybe not enough. I mean, we need to be in a place in this world where it doesn't matter what color your skin is, you should feel the same amount of value as a human being. And it is absolutely devastating to me that, People are so mistreated around the world. Today, I'm with my friend, Emmanuel Songsor and we're going to talk about Black Lives Matter. We're going to talk about a lot of things, and I am so excited to have you on the show, Emmanuel. This is, this is just awesome. We've talked about it and talked about it, and finally it's happening. Yep. So, Emmanuel, welcome to Mindfulness Mode. Great Thank to you. have you here.
1: I'm so glad to be here with you, Bruce.
0: Yeah, it's, it's yeah. awesome. It's just awesome. So, Emmanuel, what does mindfulness mean to you?
1: Um, I think that, you know, and, and I probably prefix this by saying that um, I'm, I'm going to be approaching a lot of my conversations from my perspective as a Christian. And so, you know, my foundational uh, principles are all kind of rooted in, in Christian values and in scripture. Um, so, uh, looking at it from a scriptural standpoint and the way I treat mindfulness on the day-to-day, um, mindfulness simply means painful attention to what's before me in the moment. Um, you know, when I say that, you know, I'm really referring to some scripture in the book of Matthew, right? That, that talks about um, the fact that today's troubles are sufficient. And so we should focus on today's troubles. And I think that You know, there's a lot we can think about in the future and in the past that can really impact, negatively impact the way we deal with things in the present. And so for me, mindfulness actually means, you know, paying full attention to what's before me and and really focusing and dealing with that as opposed to, you know, focusing on, on what could be or what was. And if there's anything about focusing about the past, then it's really thinking you know, what can I glean from the past to be able to inform what I do now? In other words, what positive lessons from the past can be applied to um, the current circumstances in front of me? Um, and, and another thing I really do is, you know, there is a scripture in, in, in Corinthians, I think, that talks about holding thoughts captive. And so another thing that the mindfulness means to me is really questioning any thought that comes to my mind and, and saying, Where's this thought from, you know, not just entertaining it and embracing it fully, but, you know, saying like, where's this coming from? You know, is it coming from a place of fear? Is it coming from a place of encouragement? You know, and then dealing with it from there. So it's just mindfulness is also putting a gate to my mind and not just allowing anything to flow in and impact me, but saying, hey, you don't have the right here. Where are you from? What are you here to do? Uh, You know, and so questioning those thoughts, holding them captive before allowing them to take root is, is another form of meaning of mindfulness to me.
0: Yeah, Emmanuel, I really like your description of mindfulness and how it applies to you, and uh, because yeah, that is a huge part of it—is noticing our thoughts, noticing our emotions. That's a, a huge part of it. Now, Emmanuel, I want to share a bit about you with Mindful Tribe. Emmanuel Songsor is a friend. He's a musician, as you can tell already. He's a Christian, a very devout Christian. He's a husband. He's a YouTuber. He's a research administrator at Laurier University and he holds a doctorate of geography and he has a personality what I believe has a profound mindfulness quality, as well as a great sense of humor. I know that (laughs) as well. (laughs) Emmanuel was born in uh, Ghana, West Africa, a country about a quarter of the physical size of our region of Ontario, but with a population of nearly 30 million people which is comparable to the 37 million people in the entire country of Canada. So, I mean, that's a lot of people packed into that country. So Emmanuel, what was it like coming to Canada? What was the culture shock that you experienced when you came back in the, what was it? The mid, mid 15s around 2014 (laughs) or so. It was
1: 2009. Oh, it was
0: 2009.
1: Yeah, it was 2009. Um, I think that you know, um, you know, I, be, I I pretty much came to Canada for graduate school, wow. um, so I, I came to do my master's at Western University um, in two thousand and nine. I mean, people. I think one of the biggest shocks for me was, you know, just the social dynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you know, I, I came from a region where you know you meet you met a random person at a bus stop and you had a conversation. Um, I see if you knew the person for 20 years or 30 years and I you know I came I came thinking you know that it was the same thing here you could just approach everyone and, and start talking I'll say for the large but you know a good number of people were friendly but it, it was just that I think that's one of the biggest shocks for me was that it, it just didn't work the way it worked back home you know, people were immediately open. And I, I, I guess my goal here is not to condemn the society. It's just to say things are a bit different. Right. Uh, people seemed a bit more you know, questionable when you approached them and started having a conversation. And so I guess that was, that was part, of, part of it for me, just really that change in, in social dynamic.
0: Yeah, so that must have been quite a quite a shock for sure. Oh, now, did you experience racism when you first arrived in Canada that you remember?
1: Um, when I first arrived, the truth is that you know it took me a while to to settle in and and get a good sense of of the environment before I could even detect um, different forms of racism that uh, you know were were prevalent here. And I don't know if you wanna go into details with that now. Um, but absolutely, I would say I did experience multiple forms of, of racism or things that, uh, experiences that I believe were linked to my race. Um, you know, at the university, I, I taught a lot of courses um, and even some of my interactions with students, right? And, and how rude students sometimes were to me relative to my other colleagues who were also teaching assistants or who were teaching Um, And I'd say, you know, we had similar level of expertise and and intelligence. It had nothing to do with that. Um, But I I, I had a lot of experiences of students swearing at me, um, undergraduate students. Um, And I also had, you know, over time, I had a lot of experiences that, um, you know, for instance, um, I think it was about three or four years ago, I was on campus and a Jamaican friend had been visiting me. Um, He was doing a course in program project management. He had just finished his degree in economics at Western. So I'm on campus. And at that time I was working as an educational developer and a part-time faculty. So I was teaching the geography department and I was training profs to teach and improve their teaching which was my job back then. Um, And so I went out to my friend's car and we're sitting down chatting and someone called the London police and said there were two black guys in a car carrying a gun. This was me on the campus where I did my PhD and was now working, and, and I had such an accusation. So we're sitting there, and all of a sudden we have about six cop cars surrounding us, and I'm like Nicholas, what's going on? Um, anyway, you know, a lot of other 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 experiences as well. Um, I was asked to home sit for a friend. Um, in one of the wealthier neighborhoods in London. And uh, I was walking home one night and, and a lady had just come out from my house with her dog. And I just came across the corner. and She saw me and she quickly ran in and shut the door. Um, and then when I was living um, around the Wadley Village area, <laughs> uh, which, which has a lot of, a, a huge mass of an older population, I also had similar experiences, you know, of people standing in front of their homes smoking. And as soon as you were walking by, oh, it was always when it was dark, right? Yeah. Um, as soon as you were walking by, they would run inside. And so it actually got to a point when I saw people like that in front of their houses, I'd go a different way, you know, uh, just the, just the impact of seeing that response. And yeah, it's just, yeah, quite devastating.
0: Yeah, yeah, it would be very devastating. And in, in this city of London, Ontario, it, it's a little multicultural, but not not extremely multicultural, right? There's yeah. not a lot of black people here in London, would you say?
1: Um, I'd say over time there's there's an increase. There's been an increased number uh, before I left London, Ontario, which was around 2018, I think. Yeah, I'd say the population had increased significantly. Um, now, it, I think I think the way we look at diversity really matters, and I think a, a, a represent a, a, a representation of a certain population, even if they are in masses, doesn't mean that you know the experience is is also appropriate. Um, I, so, in terms of numbers, yes, there are more Black people in the city now. In terms of lived experience. Um, majority of Black people will tell you that they still face a lot of, you know, systemic racism and and problems. So yes, population wise, we do have a good number, but experience wise, it's not a city that ne- that you know lends itself to diversity or necessarily welcomes diversity.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Well, back on uh, May 25th, when George Floyd was killed in the United States in Minneapolis, tell me how you reacted to that news and how you felt about that.
1: Oh, that was, that was extremely devastating. And, and I thought, you know, I, I knew that was going to, to, to result in, in, in kind of a massive societal response. Um, as a black male of color, I'll say that, you know, some of the emotions and feelings we've seen have been building inside for a long time. Because, you know, you go through all these experiences on the day to day, you know, it's like, it's like your story, you know, and, and of course, an extreme, an extreme um, example of your story, um, and a very devastating example, but on an emotional level, equally damaging, right? I mean, I haven't had any physical altercations with anyone, but on the emotional level, sometimes you think, you know, if I was punched and slapped, it would probably be less damaging than the emotions you carry through all those experiences. So for me personally, that was just, as soon as I, uh, I, I saw what happened, it just started bringing a lot of flashbacks and, and a lot of bad experiences I've personally faced and, you know, reflecting on things like, you know, when I had police falsely called on me, what could that have looked like um, yeah. if if I wasn't fortunate in that moment? Right. So yeah, it, it just got me it just got me very very emotional just thinking man this this is it this is what it looks like you know
0: very emotional for me too and yeah. I just I just can't believe that this kind of thing continues to go on and go on and go on and I mean that was May 25th and since then Rashard Brooks who is 27 years old was shot in the back and i mean how does this continue to happen i mean i i know the situation around that that was reported yeah. in the news and there was a struggle and you know he was intoxicated and everything but you know to shoot the man in the back like it just it's just absolutely unacceptable and here in Canada it's also unacceptable how we have treated our uh first nations people and yeah. i think that sometimes there's an attitude that oh you know we don't we don't mistreat people here the way they do in other countries yeah possibly but but we have a terrible history with the way yeah. we've treated our first nations people and like What what do we do? How do we move through this? How do we uh, face it and change it? What are your thoughts?
1: That's a a big question, bigger than my head.
0: Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. You
1: know, my my, my thought is that, you know, a lot of the problems come from, you know, certain thought processes that are ingrained in. Um, and as a black male, I think I can speak more to what I'm doing about it because it's it's hard to speak to what others should be doing or what should be happening at a systems level. And then maybe I will I will speak to that a bit. But I think as a as a black male, it's the process for me has been, and I, and I have a lot of friends who are white. Um, and so I think that because I have these quality friendships, the focus for for me has just been. Um, Telling them more about what the problem is and, and, and asking them to join the fight. I, I think that, you know, Black people are tired, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, I talk to my friends all the time. Or when we see a, a news article of a shooting in a shed, typically their response now is, man, I'm tired. Uh, and I think that we need our white colleagues to actually rise up and, and fight for us. And, and probably their voice means something different to other white people who might be carrying a lot of racist values. So an example is yesterday I had a conversation with a, a good friend, and he said in our conversation, he said, "You know, I don't see color, you know and and so I, I had to break that down. And I said, you know what, color is around us." I said, you know, through autumn, winter, summer, spring, the change in the color of the leaves and the change in color that we see around is what signals that we've entered a different season. And I said, you know, for, for us humans, unfortunately, we can't claim not to see color because color determines the experiences of some people. And so to claim not to see color, you know, is to claim, oh, yeah, you know. And he asks, you know, why don't we just say lives matter and take away black lives matter? He asked if it wasn't divisive and I said, no, it's not because all lives cannot matter until all lives actually matter. Currently, Black lives don't matter like other lives matter. And and the same with brown lives, right, and and indigenous lives. And so I said, you know, the purpose of this is to say, you know, these people, like like we see the different seasons and the different colors, is to say that color actually has a bearing on people's day-to-day experience. And we can't wipe away color and say, you know, we don't see color; it's all neutral. No, Um, if my color were different, my experience walking into a grocery store um, would be different from someone else walking into a grocery store. So, um, to me, you know, how do we make changes? I think that a lot, a lot of deep conversations have to happen on the individual level, um, where you know, we as Black people, Indigenous people, other people who have experienced racism can really help people unpack some of their myths and and false, but sometimes well-intentioned beliefs, right, that people have and say, you know, we can't look at things that way for X and Y reasons and also really give people a one-on-one, you know, session on what our experiences have been and the fact that these problems exist as much as they exist in the U.S.
0: Right. Well, Emmanuel, if you were a white man, what action do you think you would take against racism, knowing what you know as a black man?
1: So, if, I mean, I would, I would see it as something happening to my own people. Right. Um, and I think that just changes everything. And, and I mean, I had friends ask me, you know, like after, after George Floyd and all these incidents, you know, what do you think we should do? And I said, act as if it was your brother. Um, and that's why, you know, the whole, you know, all lives matter idea is is pretty flawed. It, it's true that all lives matter. If I said, oh, Black lives matter and other lives don't matter, that's absolutely stupid. No one is saying that. Um, people are saying that not all their lives matter and to a particular group of lives matter. Um, so I think that it's really recognizing that, you know, we are all human coming to that place of recognition, which sometimes unconsciously a lot of people haven't come to that place of recognition. You know, especially when you live in privilege and you don't experience any of those, these things, I mean, it doesn't touch you, it doesn't matter to you. And so I think that, you know, if I were on the opposing end, it would be first trying to see this as something that was happening to my brother or my sister. And from there, I mean, I think from there, you, you totally take action as you deem best, right? You know, which is, calling your own people out, you know, whether it's in a family gathering, you know, calling people out for inappropriate things they talk about, you know, educating yourself, you know, reading. um, And really, this is all coming from the Christian perspectives. We are brothers and sisters. And and, and once we begin to see each other as that, it just changes our perspectives on a lot of these things. So I don't know if that necessarily (laughs) answers the question, but... It would be to see as something that was happening to me, even though it was happening to another race.
0: Right. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I just want to tell you about something I've created. I put together a training module, and it's called the Stand Up Now Blueprint. So I would ask you, are you struggling in certain areas of your life? Do you ever feel overwhelmed? Is anxiety and stress an issue for you? Well, how would you feel if you could truly enjoy more contentment? If you just felt more happy and and relaxed more of the time? What would you do to bring more peace into your life? Well, my training addresses all these things. It's free and it focuses on five simple ways to move from struggling to productive. As a result of the training, you'll feel like you're accomplishing things that matter to you in your life. You'll find yourself smiling more because you're truly happy. My free training will help you increase your productivity, your revenue, and yes, your happiness. So just go to mindfulnessmode.com slash sunblueprint. That's where the free training is, mindfulnessmode.com slash sunblueprint. And now back to our show. And the thing is, it is a fact that when, when you're white, you live a privileged life, like I do, I, I can't even pretend to know what it's actually like being a black person. Yeah. There's no way I can know that, even though like I can read about it, I can talk to people like you, but I can never truly know what it's really like and i i understand that i just wish i knew more about what i could do but like one of the things i think about uh is how many black people i've interviewed for my show and so i went went over and and looked because you know i i just thought well this is interesting i want to know how many there are and there aren't very many really mm-hmm it's not because I've turned down people and, you know, it's not because people said, Hey, can I be on your show? And I thought to myself, Oh geez, I don't think so. You're black. You know Uh, I, if somebody approaches me and wants to be on my show, it's about, you know, does it fit in with mindfulness? What is your story? This kind of thing. And so there, there are around 10 people. And Mm -hmm. I remember one, one guy that I interviewed, I didn't know he was a black person because his skin was quite light. And then in the interview, he started talking about how he you know, lived in a certain city and then he, he had uh, experienced a lot of racism and yeah. everything else. And he talked about that. And, and I was quite surprised because I didn't know he identified as a black person. Mm. But there have been about 10 or 12 people that I've interviewed out of you know, over 400, over 500 people. That's not very many.
1: Yeah.
0: And I I don't know why it would be that not very many people have approached me who are black to be on the show, but that's that's the way it is. I'd love to have more black people on the show or or people of, of any other ethnic background, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that's important. And I, I think that that's, you know, and I think part of it is that the system just functions easily in a certain way. And for you to be able to get some, some other form of representation actually has to take a conscious effort um, of seeking out people and, and, and really, you know, you're already on that path, right? Part of the process is, is actually assessing and seeing, you know, what are the kinds of people I've had, what voices do we not have represented in within the spectrum of mindfulness and, and how can we get these voices on board? And so it, it almost has to be kind of a conscious, seeking effort um, But and, and, and that's part of what we need to see things change, right? We can't keep on going with business as usual. It has to, you know, individuals have to start asking themselves, you know, some difficult questions. I mean, the questions you've just posed to yourself are examples of some of those difficult questions. And, and you know they might extend to you know have i actually actively sought out you know and and the recognition that you know those perspectives also bring a balance and and bring a different kind of you know lived experience in the context of mindfulness that's very much needed um i don't i don't hear a lot of uh a lot of conversations about mindfulness in the context of race or race relations right and and so absolutely that's That's something to intentionally seek out. And and that's something we need to cause a change. People need to rethink the way they've always done things, even though things have worked. You know, you could say, you know, I've had only one black person, 600 white people on my podcast. Yeah, but that's cool. My podcast is still running, so I don't care, right? But then the questions you are beginning to ask, you know, those are the kinds of things we have to see, you know, across the board, across institutions with leadership, you know, and say, you know, what voices are not represented on this table? How do we intentionally seek out people and bring them on
0: board? Emmanuel, as a child, as a young child, when was the first time you remember experiencing racism?
1: I don't know. I mean, I, I grew up in Ghana. Yeah. So did you
0: experience it ever then? Was it was the first time you experienced it when you came to Canada?
1: Yes, absolutely. I would say so, one hundred percent.
0: Yeah, well, that makes um, sense.
1: Yeah, I would say so. Absolutely. Uh, of course, there were there were other kinds of tensions back home, but sure, they were not necessarily race related. So yeah,
0: right. Yeah, so it was mostly when you when you came, and, and
1: that's why when you first asked me, you know, what are, what what have been your experiences? What were your experiences of racism when you first came to Canada? I actually had to. Take a moment and reflect a bit because it took me a while to finally look back and say, oh, so that thing I experienced in my first year was actually racist. Right? right. It's it's a new cultural context and societal context. And it takes a while for some of those things to sink in. So yeah.
0: <laughs> so Emmanuel, you're you're married to a white woman. Do you feel as though you uh experience Uh, racism because of that? Do you feel like you're looked at in a different way because of that?
1: Um, I I think I I am. Absolutely. I mean, uh, a a couple of months ago, uh, my wife and I actually went over to a Tim Hortons.
0: (laughs) And, you know,
1: I've experienced a lot of these things that sometimes I actually feel they need. And sometimes I felt like, man, I, I kind of feel like I have to shield her from seeing this. It's actually going on. Um, but we went to a Tim Hortons and there were a group of, of older white men sitting in the corner and they were really eyeing me.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and, and she turned and said to me, we are never coming to this Tim Hortons again. Um, another experience was recently when we went to Northern Ontario for, you know, after one year of being married, we just went for a visit and to look around
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we, we kind of lost our way because our GPS lost connection. Mm-hmm. And so I had to turn, I had to reverse into a house um, and I didn't even go in like the nose of the car just had to go in because the street was narrow to get us going the opposite way. And a guy was right. plowing his snow uh-huh. and I was with my wife, but he gave me eye contact, gave me the finger and sped towards us to crash our car with a snowblower. And fortunately I'd already put the car on drive. And so I just drove away. Um, So absolutely. I I also think that, you know, it partly invites her into, you know, witnessing some of those experiences for herself. And I think that it's just become so much of a reality for her, you know, And, and yeah, no, with, with everything that's happened, you know, she's tried a lot and, And just felt a lot of the pain, right? Like, you know, what's life going to look like for our kids? You know, those are legitimate questions that are beginning to come up. So, yeah, no.
0: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. I know you don't have children, but if you had a child, would you sit down with your young child and and explain to that child, hey, you know what, you will probably be treated differently because of the color of your skin? Would you have that talk? And what would that talk be like?
1: Absolutely, I would absolutely have that talk, and and I mean, be, because of my own lived experience, I have already reached out to, you know, some mixed race couples with children, and some, you know, black couples with children who live within this context, and that a lot of their kids have had a lot of bad experiences even within the school system. So I don't know if you've been following the whole Toronto District School Board. Uh, but there's a whole anti-racism movement against the school board because apparently, you know, various processes and structures have been extremely racist. So I, I have talked to people, and I know from a fact that these children actually face these experiences from a very early age. And um, when all of this started, there was a a, a black youth who called me um, for help because I know her personally, and she felt just very depressed and and said, you know, I I don't even feel like living anymore. And so we had about probably a two to three hour conversation. And, you know, she talked to me about her experiences in elementary school. And one of those experiences was that, you know, uh, one of her colleagues in school called her the N word. And she had already experienced so much (laughs) racism from the teachers, she decided not to report. But one of her other colleagues who was white went and told the head teacher. So the head teacher called her and the girl who had called her the N-word into the office and said, oh, I heard this person called you the N-word. Well, I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do about it. Like, go away. Like, I'm sorry. The other part was that they weren't allowed to bring their bags to their classroom at a certain point in school. Um, but all her colleagues... A good number of her colleagues still took her, their bags and the teacher said nothing. So one day she had, she decided to take her bag in and this was also in elementary school or high school. She took her bag in, you know, and the teacher said, can you take your bag out? And she said, well, my like five people have their bags and why am I the only one who has to take my bag out? And the teacher said, well, what if there's a bomb in your bag, right? So, these conversations will have to happen very early um, to pre- pre- prepare them to be able to process what's actually happening. And like I said, you know, when I came to Canada, it took me a while to realize a lot of those experiences were racist experiences. But if, if someone had given me the pep talk earlier, I would have been able to start processing. And like when, when it finally came to me, it was actually difficult to process. Because I've I li- had lived through all these things without thinking about what was actually happening, so absolutely it would be good to give them grounding and, and say that listen, this, you know, you you should ex- expect to have some of these experiences, and anytime you have an experience like this, talk to me about it. I, I right. would want to go to your school and talk to your teachers and and help address it. So absolutely it will be an it will be an early talk. <laughs> yeah, very yeah, important.
0: Yeah. As a Canadian, Emmanuel, I apologize, you know, like, I just feel so awful that people are like that, that people are prejudiced and that they mistreat people. Like, it's just terrible. Yeah. You know, it just really Yeah, I know, Bruce, it is. And
1: I mean, I, you know, I, you know, it's, man. Yeah. At the same time, you know, there are lots of great people around. I can't, I can't just blanket out everyone and, and you know, the, the problem is massive. There are a lot of people who are racist and, and it's a big problem. Um, when, I, when I came to Canada in, in around 2010 or 11, I met a Canadian family through church. And mm-hmm. actually my parents back home now call them my Canadian mother and father. And this was a couple that took me as their son. Um, I was free to sleep in their house whenever I wanted. I was free to walk into their house. I never had to knock. The fridge was open to me 24-7. I could fry an egg in their house without caring. I could lie on the couch. Man, they drove me everywhere I needed to go when I needed a ride anywhere. Um, so, you know... I guess I'm saying this to say there's a light at the end of the tunnel, right? I mean, you, you were my landlord. You know, you invited me to your house to stay with you over Thanksgiving and, and spend time with your family and, and, and everyone made me feel at home, right? So yeah. we, we need more people to be intentional about doing that. Um, and I would say in the same regard, I've met other people who are not that comfortable and I easily see and detect that right, that they are not very comfortable. And, and even though someone might invite you to their house, they are not comfortable having you in their home. Mm.
0: Um,
1: but I think the more people, you know, people like yourself or the couple I met, um, the more people take, to be honest, without that couple, I, I would have left this country. Um, I would have left in, in 2011 because that was when I finished my master's degree. But they created a totally new environment where I, I felt like I had parents. They were vulnerable and honest with me and and talked to me about their struggles and their weaknesses. And you know, we had this mutual relationship going and and their kids loved me. And, you know, so there are people out there who are who are also doing it. You know, I'm
0: so so glad that you met them and that they took you in like that. That's that's fantastic. If you could live in any other country, other than Canada or Ghana, what country would you choose?
1: Oh man, that's a tough question. I guess I'll choose Uganda. Uh (laughs) Yeah, I was I was I, I taught a I taught a graduate course at Western University and it was in. Global health systems, and I got to go to Uganda, and man, I I just I made so many friends there. I I, I text people in Uganda almost every week. Do you? Um, yeah, but people were people were extremely approachable, extremely helpful, very kind. Um, I formed some close networks with a charity there that works with refugees, and I kind of continue to try to help their activities there. So no, it's it's almost become like a second home for me. So that that definitely will be it.
0: (laughs) Wow. Well, at the beginning, you talked a bit about your Christianity. And I just want to talk a little bit more about how your Christianity kind of parallels mindfulness. Do you feel that prayer in your life parallels meditation?
1: Yeah, I, 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 I absolutely would say so. And I think that, you know, as as part of my life, um, the real important thing is to me um, that I consider meditation is constantly being in a frame of mind where scripture is alive. And, and and what do I mean by that? I mean, you know, we 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 go through experiences that are scary, uh, that are difficult, and and we never we can never predict when these things are coming up. Right. But but scripture always, you know, keeping that alive at the tip of your mind, it always comes to life. Um, you know, so, you know, like me recently, I, I, I went to an immigration office and they were extremely rude to everyone who were coming up to talk to them. And, and, and when they approached me, you know, the way they greeted me and started talking to me was extremely rude. And, and I just I was just reminded about scripture encouraging us to be kind. You know, don't don't pay evil with evil. That was the thing that jumped to my mind immediately. And I started responding kindly to them, you know. And I can think of a lot more of other experiences like that, you know. And so for me, you know, meditation doesn't always mean taking time aside. Um, I think scripture reading and prayer is absolutely meditation. But what really makes that alive is keeping that on top of, at the top of my mind, even as we are having this interview, right? How do you respond to, you know, the the truth is, how do I feel like responding to a racist person? I totally want to smash their face with a baseball bat, right? But what, what does, you know, what does that staying conscious about scripture tell me? You know, it tells me to be loving and kind. And at the same time, you know, God encourages us to be truthful, and so the truthful path is telling someone, hey, you are being racist. This is what you are doing. That's not right. Calling them out and being honest with them. But at the same time, doing it with love and kindness, not, you know, not trying to knock their nose or something, which is the natural human instinct, right? And so right, right. that's what I'm saying for me. It's more about being in a meditative mode than, for me personally, than, you know, putting time aside for for that activity, which is also important.
0: Well, you mentioned about how you feel when you experience racism and that, you know, that anger. Do you understand the anger and the violence that has happened in the United States as a result of of these protests?
1: Man, absolutely. I mean, and and (laughs) it's what happens when people have been pushed to their limit. Yeah. and and that's what I'm saying. You know, it, it just gets to a point where you think, you know, I'd I'd, do, I'd rather do this, and and if I die, I die. That's okay with me. Um, and you know, it's just it's just a natural human response. You can't you can't oppress someone for a long time and not ex expect a radical a, a radical response. And the longer the oppression goes on, the more it builds in. You know, and and like I was saying, you know. Just seeing this whole john floyd incident i almost felt like i was going to get a panic attack because it was it was really bringing out everything that had built in inside um as personal you know racist experiences um sorry experiences with racism um so no i totally understand you know why that is happening um and i totally you know i'm totally in favor of, of protests Um, but I, I also, I'm not in favor of rooting and, and destroying stuff, but truly that's just a natural response when we've been pushed to a limit. Um, you know, am I going to smash someone's car because of this? No, but it is, it is a natural human response. But at the same time, based on my Christian values, I don't believe I'm called to, you know, physically destroy someone's car, um, because that will change something, um, Right. I believe I'm called to walk in love, but also in truth and to protest. Absolutely. You know, Jesus's agenda was all social, just, right. He, he, he was more focused on, he was more focused on the widow. He was more focused. And, and even when his own people, you know, oppressed people who were in places of less privilege, you know, like the poor um, the needy, he, he dealt with them, you know, he's, and so, you know, at the very roots, that's what Jesus stands for. He stands for, you know, people being treated like humans and people being respected and valued because we are all created in His image and likeness, right? And so, so to go for, you know, to go for a protest, I think is, is totally important because we are basically fighting for the agenda God came to establish on this earth, right? So, yeah.
0: Well, I know that one of the things you turn to is music and Christian music, and you're a beautiful musician. You play beautifully on the keyboard and on the bass, and you have a YouTube channel. Is it okay if I share with our listeners your YouTube channel? Absolutely. Yeah, your YouTube channel, 3 million views Wow, 425 videos you've got on there, and I mean 118,000 views in only the last 30 days. And (laughs) you know that's that's huge, you know. And and so not only is this feeding you, but it feeds so many other listeners. And you can go to Emmanuel's YouTube channel, Emmanuel underscore s space music. And that's on YouTube. Check out the beautiful music, and you can check out Emmanuel's Instagram uh, as well. Is that okay if I share your Instagram? Absolutely, please yeah. do. And that's at E, standing for Emmanuel. E underscore five seven zero zero. And that's on Instagram, and and there are beautiful posts that you've put on Instagram as well. And uh, I I just think it's it's just an honor to know you. And, you know, I've spent lots of time with you talking about things and, and uh, you've got, like I said at the beginning, such a great sense of humor and, and so much to share. I always ask a question about bullying and I know we've talked a lot about racism, but do you have a story about bullying where maybe mindfulness would have made a difference?
1: Yeah, I think I have, I have two stories that stand out to me in that regard. Um, I went to boarding school in secondary school. And back in Ghana, we had three, you know, secondary school one, two, and three. So there were three levels of, of that. And mm-hmm. the secondary school, three folks were always the seniors who were about to graduate. Um, so in boarding house they were in charge of distributing lab, labor you know cleaning we did all of that ourselves we didn't have cleaners mm-hmm. um, but they were also in charge of punishing people who were defiant oh. um, and a lot of them took advantage of that to bully people um i I remember once it was time for i think it was time for bed uh, we had we had quite a strict schedule and I just went to use a the washroom and one of the seniors saw me and Decided to punish me. He just got me to sleep under his wooden the wooden floor of his bed. Um, so I, I spent the night sleeping under his bed on the wooden floor. Um, oh, wow! You know what was mindfulness then for me? It was just you know to ignore him and and at that point not respond. You know I wanted to respond physically, but I didn't. Um, and then I later reported him to the house master because we also had teachers who lived, two teachers who lived on each wing of our dormitory. And they were supposed to oversee everything. And so I later reported him to the house master and he was punished for that. Um, so that's one example. I think mindfulness helped. The point was just stay calm. You know what he's asking you to do right now will not kill you. Just do it and after go and report to the higher authority. The other part was the part where I didn't apply mindfulness. <laughs> and okay. uh, my parents had just visited me and brought me food. And I was trying to go put the food in my, we call them chalk boxes. But they were really wooden boxes everyone brought from their house where we padlocked and kept our food. So I went to go put the food there and return the basket to my parents who were waiting at a parking lot. And one of the seniors was standing in front of me when I entered the house. And he wouldn't let me walk by. He said he wanted to see everything that was in in my food basket. (laughs) And I said I wouldn't let him see it. And so this went on for almost 10 minutes. And I got really pissed. And he was a huge guy. I mean, back in the day, I was as skinny as a stick. And this guy was probably like 250 pounds. Easy. Okay, (laughs) And I... I, I I waited till there were lots of people around because every time a fight broke, people de-escalated the fight. So when there were lots of people around, I punched him really hard in the face, which I'm not I'm not proud about. Um and I ran away. And so by the time he could get to me, people had de-escalated things. But from that day onwards, his attitude towards junior students totally changed because he always had his way and no one ever you know, stood up and said, you know, I'm not going to let you do this. Um,
0: Right, right.
1: So he and I ended up being punished by a housemaster. Obviously, at that point, you know, I I had mindful thoughts come to me, you know, call on people around to to help de-escalate the situation before this gets bad. And I was just waiting. I said, no, I'm going to deal with this guy. And I, you know, I ended up reacting in a way I shouldn't have. So, I mean, that's. That's an example of a place where
0: I could probably have applied some mindfulness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you must be what? Six foot six? Six
1: four.
0: Six four. To yeah. me, you look six foot six. <laughs> <laughs> you are so tall. Hopefully
1: uh, one day. Who knows?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a tall man. And uh, wow, I look up to you. I look up to you in more ways than one. That's for sure. Thanks, but. Bruce. Uh, Yeah, I I very much admire you. You know, you you had some tough times after you graduated, and you were looking for work, and you, you know, it seemed like, wow, when's this going to come? Is this never going to come? But it did happen. It happened, oh yeah. And you're at a at a great university, and you're doing work that you really enjoy doing and you're helping people and you're, you're married now. And I, I just think it's wonderful how it seems like your life has fallen into place. Does it feel like that for you as well, Emmanuel?
1: It kind of does. Yeah. And I mean, uh, yeah, no, in so many ways, I mean, a lot of those things I was, I was kind of desperate. No, I wouldn't say I was desperate. I, I knew they would happen at some point, um, you know, but they they finally did. And I think, You know, another lesson for me there is just, you know, you've just got to wait for the right time. And and that doesn't mean not taking action. I mean, prior to getting my job, I'd already applied for over 100 jobs and gotten multiple interviews, but just nothing materialized. At the end of the day, I feel like the the perfect opportunity for me materialized. Um, The other crazy part is that it's never a job I anticipated doing. I actually didn't know the role existed. Um, So it's just, yeah, it's just all been extremely miraculous. And no, I I can only thank God for that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's just great. Emmanuel, as we move on, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this, who is one person who has just been a really positive, mindful influence in your life? Steve Rolf,
1: um, okay. do you want me to say more?
0: No, you don't have to. That—that's oh, well, well, your friend, right? That's yeah. your friend so from Steve, Canada. So
1: Steve was the guy I was talking about. He and his wife right. took me and as family, and a Canadian, yeah. a white Canadian couple, opened their home to me. And yeah, just like my biological parents, he's definitely the guy. Yeah.
0: Wow, that is so awesome. How has mindfulness affected your emotions?
1: Oh, it's kept them in check. I mean, I, I I grew up a very angry person and 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 with a lot of violent tendencies. Um, but once I became a Christian and and I really took Scripture serious and and just welcomed the Holy Spirit and and you know to come and empower me to live right, everything changed. People see me today and don't know I'm the same guy. Uh, wow. I was just very angry for sure. Oh yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Well, let's talk about breathing. How is breathing part of your mindfulness? Or is it? Is breathing something that you think about?
1: It has become. <laughs> um, it has become. I, I realized that, you know, with my work schedule and, and COVID-19 and all the craziness, for me, it's just like sometimes I, I'm, I'm working on my computer. And I think, I, I, am I really breathing? Yeah. You know, so it, it's just a pause and you know, take a deep breath and I'm like, oh man, I wasn't breathing. And usually after that, I, the intensity of my breathing increases, right? And so no, it's it's been, yeah, I think sometimes I like, sometimes I wonder if I'm breathing.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I <laughs> think that's that makes true. With sense. Us.
1: And so I think it's it's pausing, especially during work. It's usually during work. Yeah. Um and, and I've started running too. So, you know, usually when I'm running, I'm paying attention to that and 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 realizing i probably don't really breathe well
0: <laughs> yeah yeah if you could recommend a book that is somehow related to mindfulness what would that be
1: oh it would 100% be the bible i was pretty sure you'd bible. say that yeah and i mean like yeah lately it's really come alive with for me you know just thinking about you know covid-19 and and all the complaints we throw about you know around here and But at the same time, typically in Canada, a lot of people have their basic needs met. I'm not saying everyone. There are people really suffering. Um, But at this time, there are also people in refugee camps who are in lockdown, right? And and the Bible encourages us, you know, to, to pay attention to the needs of those who are really in dark places of lack. Like I'm talking about families who don't know where the next meal will come from. And so... You know, I've been trying to do my best to, to help in that regard. Um yeah, no, and, and it's all inspired by scripture, you know, tells us about you know caring for the widow, caring for the orphan, and and I still continue to work with homeless youth. Um I, I volunteer with them once every week. You know, we we give food, we have conversations, we keep them company. And that's so important. Like that's more important to me than my job. I hope my boss does it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it is, it is the most important and most fulfilling thing I have done in my whole life. It's spending wow. time with, with people on the streets, people who are homeless and hungry and have no hope, have no one talk to them and be able to look them in the eye and say, Hey, I love you. You know, here's some food, here's some whatever, you know.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's great. you would be fantastic at that. That is,
1: I love it, Bruce. I love it.
0: <laughs> that is, that is so great. So can you share an app that somehow helps with mindfulness?
1: I have an app? No, I don't, I don't have an app. I typically will, you know, listen to music on iTunes and, and, or, or Spotify. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
1: and, and, you know, my choice of music really depends on how I feel in the moment, you know, whether I need something calming or, or something more energetic, um,
0: Usually,
1: it's, it's Christian music. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah. And my other app is my piano. I don't know if a piano is an app. But <laughs> your app is
0: your piano. Yes. I know that. Yeah. You, you love playing the piano and, and you're wonderful at it, too. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. 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 So, so, Mindful Tribe, yeah, definitely check out Emmanuel's YouTube and Instagram. And like I said, the YouTube is uh, Emmanuel underscore S music. So you'll find over 425 videos there, and and check out Emmanuel on Instagram too, at e underscore 5700. So Emmanuel, it's really great getting a chance to talk to you. I'm so grateful that you have gotten on and, and been so willing to talk about this whole topic of racism and, and Black Lives Matter and all of this. So thank you so much for being on the show today, Emmanuel. Oh,
1: thanks very much for having me. And I mean, to, to, be, to be perfectly honest, I don't think I, I have ne- I've necessarily covered all the grounds to to perfection. But no, I'm glad to be able to have this conversation and, and, you know, shed lights on the the little ways people can contribute to making their communities better.
0: Yeah. Well, hopefully we can talk again about some of these topics and, and really dig in and, and figure out kind of how we can move forward. So thank you again, man. Absolutely. I'd
1: love that. Thanks, Bruce.
0: Awesome. Bye now.
1: All right. Bye.
0: Mindful Tribe, I hope you've enjoyed today's interview. And if you did, please tell your friends about the show. Every person who subscribes and listens, that helps our show. And anyone who offers to do a review. That also helps do a review on iTunes or on any app that you listen to the show on. So that would be great. In the meantime, I just wanted to mention what I mentioned partway through the show today that I put together a training module. I wanted to remind you about that. And that can help you if you're experiencing anxiety or stress or if life feels like a struggle for you. So just check out the training. It's free. It's called Five Simple Ways to Move from Struggling to Productive. And you can find that at mindfulnessmode.com slash sunblueprint. So take what you've heard today and reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.